my mom tells a story when I was in fifth grade and I had my birthday party. I was in a brand new school we had moved and we invited all the kids that I thought were interesting. And, you know, I'd known these kids for 10 weeks, maybe. And they show up at the birthday party and my mom's looking around and every one of the kids, except for one, was hyperactive. And, you know, she has this nice story about, like, what a pain in the ass that birthday party was for her as a parent. But, like, looking back, as her and I have talked about that, she was like, oh, no, it's because those are the kids that were doing interesting things for your, you know, whatever I was, 10-year-old brain. Welcome to Sonder Union. I am Owen McGran. I'm just a guy. So, about a week ago, I nearly sat down and recorded a solo episode. I had been feeling a bit down, disconnected, isolated, lonely. You know, all those things that a middle-aged dude often uh, feels. And I, I held off on that impulse, uh, and instead I reached out um, to a buddy of mine. I I'd thought about doing an episode on this topic, but as I explained, I thought it might be a little bit unfair to, to wrap somebody unsuspecting into this. Um, so instead, I uh, invited one of my oldest and best friends, um, a fellow named Rob Lissy. Um, we have a discussion uh, that's kind of meandering. Uh, like the conversations that he and I typically have uh, where we talk about loneliness and the atomization of, of the way that, that we work and live. Um, and I hope that um, you enjoy listening to it as, as much as I enjoyed having the conversation and catching up with, with my friend. So uh, with that, let's roll to the tape. All right, so I've been wanting to a specific kind of episode for a while now uh show about loneliness and disconnection and and all the kind of nonsense that happens as you grow older and and get sort of buried in the everyday of life um i also thought it would be kind of unfair to invite some unsuspe- unsuspecting guest on you know for basically a first conversation with somebody and drop this shit on them so um you know, I, I chose to go a slightly different route here, where uh, I am having one of my very oldest and very best friends uh, on to talk about some stuff that, you know, frankly gets to the the kind of the impetus of the podcast to begin with, and, and its name, right? I'm doing this basically to try to feel a little less alone, right? To, to get to know people, to get some connection to people. Um, and I couldn't think of a better person to bring on than somebody who's been one of my longest running thought partners to begin with. Uh, so, uh, Rob Lissy, welcome to Saunder Union. Super happy to be here. Um, I'm excited. It's my first interview ever that's been recorded yeah. in any way. Yeah. So, um, I hate to break it to you. I I've done, this will be the eighth episode. I've been on a bunch of, um, podcasts. I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So, you know, it probably doesn't surprise you at all. Um, I mean, no, 
<laughs> that's that's the common thing that I do know is like uh, coming across all human experiences. People are people. I mean, people. Some people don't admit that they don't know what they're doing, but that's a different mm-hmm. question. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So um, I gave you a bit of a heads up ahead of time, but yes. there's a question that I ask every every guest. Um, and it has to do with walk-up music, right? So either, you know, a relief pitcher gets brought in or, you know, a professional wrestler gets called on or whatever it might be. Um, what's your song? So I give this a lot of thought. Um, and I think if if the situation is for this podcast and the intro to this, it's going to be This Must Be the Place by the Talking Heads because mm. I think that's thoughtful, contemplative, weird a weird song it's a um, weird song yeah he's lying the whole time i pointed that out to my kids the other day they're yeah. like no he's not i'm like yes he is <laughs> oh how yeah do, he is how does he not know if he's happy or not right um but i think if it was like an actual uh like sporting event where i was expected to like you know athletically perform um then i think it might be something like very aggressive something like nine inch nails you know mid 90s mm-hmm peak i hate the world trent reznor you know not <laughs> not, uh, not not movie score trent reznor. yeah exactly <laughs> ladies and gentlemen oscar winner trent reznor like it's, right 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 that's a very bizarre <laughs> movie but uh i think it, i think that's my spectrum is um or maybe even this is a deep cut uh late this very much dates me as being like a late 90s kid uh um white zombie or like a rob mm. zombie you know what i mean like something very yeah. just like da-na-na-na. i think that that's our version of heavy metal for the for the 90s kids in the know um, yeah, that's that's probably about right yeah um, um yeah cool I, I i'm curious about the uh this must be the place because i mean you obviously know the talking heads are one of my two maybe three favorite bands yeah um my first marriage, the first dance was to This Must Be the Place. I was there. I was the DJ. Which, by the way, um, for anybody who is still at the point where they're trying to decide on a first dance song, um, This Must Be the Place is five minutes long. That's a long time to be out on the dance floor alone. Um, you want to you, you wanna pick something that's short and sweet, um, that gets the point across. Um, but... Um, you know, one of the things that I found with the people that, that have been on so far is, you know, the the music choices for this tend to be kind of life-affirming, uplifting, like uh, uh, John Lindsay picked uh, the Rocky theme. Yeah. Um, right, you know, which, sure. Um, and then, you know, just other general badass songs, like Immigrant Song or, you know, Back in Black and stuff like that. When when you dropped in a text yesterday that you were thinking about this must be the place, in a certain sense, that is itself um, an aggressive song to pick for something like that. Yeah, right? yeah, but definitely. What kind of person that. walks out onto the field to you know that synth intro, right? Just a little do 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 do. Bring the lamp with you. Yep, just me and the lamp um, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> I. You know, I don't know. In terms of a song, I've always that I've known about that song for twenty years, approximately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you and I watched um, 
stop making sense the movie oh yeah uh that was my first exposure to the movie for sure yeah um but uh i i I've noticed that as I age, that song has aged with me because mm-hmm. it has a lot of different ways to take it apart. And it's a really dense, very, um, very cerebral song. Um, that's also poppy and fun. It is. That's one of the things I found about talking heads in general, right? At different stages in life, you hear different things in those songs. Yep. Right. Um, I didn't realize when I was younger how funny they are, right? Just like, like, you know, shiv you in the side, yep. like, funny. Um, okay. So, um, do you remember the first night we really hung out? It's a haze. They kind of melded together because we ended up hanging out the same way a lot of different times. That, that's fair. Um, and I think it involves going to your room, me going to your room and like playing guitar, listening to music and probably drinking beer. And, a, and we, we got a pound of provolone cheese for some reason. Yeah. That sounds really good. That sounds like a really good yeah. decision on our part. Yeah, right. Right. You know, and you know, I, I was thinking about that because, you know, that, that seems so easy, right? Yeah, it took nothing, over, right? It took four dollars, right? Um, that that kind of hangout seemed like such a natural thing to do. Um, when's the last time you just hung out with someone? It's been a long time, you know. Um, so I got prepped on the topic of the podcast, and I was mm-hmm. thinking about how. I mean, even in the situation that we're talking about, there was a structure and an expectation that these things would just happen all around us. And they were mm-hmm. constantly, you know, we all, for background, we lived in dorms and a college. And I think I was like a three minute walk from your, from your room or something, yeah. right? Like out one door over the next building and up or down, mm-hmm. I forget. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just thinking as you were asking that question, how long would it take for my neighbors to call the police if I just walked over with a pound of provolone cheese and hung out at their house, you know? Right. And like, like, Hey, let's hang out. Um, I had a barbecue this past summer at my house that I'd hoped it to be that kind of hangout mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And it was with a couple of adults that I have friends here in Seattle and it fell right on its face. It, you know, like parts of it were okay and pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of like weird accoutrement to the activities, we had a bunch of bars of Dove soap. And we, <laughs> I, it's a great group activity. We carved them. Did you know you can carve Dove soap with a butter knife? And it's actually really good carving material. No, but that, that checks out. Yeah. yeah. So I have a bunch of carved soap things on my hand. Uh, hand washing station <laughs> by the bathrooms so they're like a little truck awesome. and a duck and mm-hmm. but uh the event wasn't as natural as i'd hoped it to be you know and you know folks had to like plan for it you know which is strange mm-hmm. you know why you got to plan to hang out with your friends yeah you know I, I i was thinking this week you know leading up to to knowing we were taping today um, I have 
friends, some of whom you know, most of whom you know, who live right around me, right? Maybe, maybe a 10 minute drive, right? Yeah. We've been trying to get together. Just, and it's been like five months. Yep. We're like, we should really do this. We should really do this. Right. And, you know, I, it, it, it baffles me how, you know, I know that each of us really do want to do it, right? Yeah. It's not like lip service, like, yeah, sure, let's get, it's no, like, guys, let's get together. This, you know, I miss you guys. Let's, let's hang out. Let's go to dinner. Let's, you know, and it just doesn't happen. Um, and I've been trying to put my finger on what it, what it is. I mean, I understand that, you know, you've got family responsibilities and you've got work responsibilities. You've got all this stuff that latches on to the, the time that, that you have, but do we really have to live in a world where to hang out with your friend, you have to send a GCAL invite? So we do live in that world. Which, you know, not everybody lives in that world. My kids don't live in that world. Mm -hmm. um, and college students, I'd say, generally don't live in that world. Um, but we, but you and I do. You know, as dudes in their early 40s, soon to be mm -hmm. mid-40s, you know, like, that is the world we live in. Now, do we have to? Absolutely not. Um, but I think... I think that these things are just like unintended consequence of some of the accumulated decisions that we've made from other things. So, you know, I want to have my own space. That means that we get our own house, but then mm -hmm. everybody gets their own house, which means your friends live much more than a three minute walk in the building, you know? Right. Um, and I think these, these things are, I think that these things are largely some kind of like weird side effect of some of the other choices that we've made socially. Yeah. You know, there's, there's um, the line right at the beginning of gravity's rainbow, right? Where the, the train is going in and, and Pynchon describes it as a progressive nodding into, right. As, as though the further you go, the, the tighter the, the bond is that you can't quite get out of, like a spider's web where all of a sudden you're stuck. Yes. Right? Um, but I do know people that go out and make friends, right? And, yeah. and you know, find a way to, to do it. Um, it seems like an exhausting task to me. It is. I mean, our society you know? makes it hard. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, and, and even, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, college kids don't necessarily live in this world. Um, you know, Audra um, still teaches, right? She, she, she teaches, um, she has a microbiology class at a local university. Yep. She says, you know, I walk in, there are 30 kids in the room. It's dead silent. They're all on their phone talking to somebody who's not there. Okay. I, I, it's been a long time since I've been a college kid right. and I didn't have, no, I mean, that, that wasn't yeah. the way it was when we were in college. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, it's this atomization of, of our, of our space and our time and our attention. Um, and I, I know at least in my case, you know, I understand to some extent how and why it's happened, 
and yet it feels to me as though it's something uh, that has has really hurt me, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, part of the reason that I, I thought to ask you on here, other than the fact that, you know, you're my best friend and I talk to you all the time, you know, over the weekend, you know, I was just, I was really down this past weekend. And, you know, we, we texted about that a little bit. And it's, there's this notion that, you know, the the further you go and, and the more, quote, successful you get, you know, life just takes care of itself and it's fine. And yet I found that most of the people in that situation get progressively more lonely. I was thinking just that. <laughs> um, I had a, a big a big career move like two and a half years ago. And, um, you know, it's for the better professionally. And I was surprised by the, there was some very immediate sense of additional responsibilities about isolating myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean like things about COVID or those things. Um, So, I mean, I guess whatever, I won't dance around this too much. Like I work for Google and you know, when you're meeting people and you talk to them and then they ask, what do you do? Mm -hmm. If you say you work for Google, the very next real question in their mind is, can you get me a job at Google? (laughs) And right. Yeah. I want want the google.com email address, not the gmail.com email. Exactly. Right. And, and I've seen my coworkers, how they handle that. And so the very first way they handle it is by not saying it, which is itself mm-hmm. isolating, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. I live in I live in a big tech town, and there's a there's a rift right. here in Seattle. Yeah, I, I went to I went to a school in Boston. Exactly, I went to a school in Boston. It's like there's 17 colleges in Boston. Mm-hmm. Which one? I think we all know. Right. Uh, if you were right. smart, if you went to Northeastern, you would say I went to Northeastern. Yeah, yeah. And if you were smart, you'd say I went to MIT. it's a little deep harvard dig there but uh anyways i'm here good i love it um but uh my coworkers, they'll they won't say where they work and um and it's i think it's done out of some sense of kindness to the other person to like Mm -hmm. but it's also it's also weird right like you know, it's the person right. from Harvard saying that they didn't go to Harvard. It's the person from Google saying they don't work at Google. It's like, yeah, well, I work there. It's it's not magic. Um, but it is weird and isolating because other people, you know, I, I, I live in Seattle. Like half of this town works for Amazon or Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of tech here. And I've seen that people in tech will talk differently if they think that they're talking to someone who doesn't work in tech, you mm-hmm. know, in kind of this like American puritanical sort of way where they're like, I don't <laughs> want to lord over you that I'm making more money than you or that I'm more professionally successful, right? Um, yeah, and it's it's bizarre and it's very isolating um, because I feel and I see that these, you know, you don't share as much about about a major part of your life if you're already putting up those walls right from the get-go of conversations. Um, so, you know, it's like a little bit of a tribalism of sorts. Um, and, and it's super isolating. You know, I want to hear about people who 
I don't want to hear about people who work in tech. I know what it's like to work in tech. Yeah, you, you know those people. Yeah, I want to talk to like a cabinet maker. I, right. You know, I, I mean, when when Audra, you, you know Audra, but for, for everybody else, Audra is my wife. Um, when Audra first met all of you, my friends from college and, and graduate school and stuff like that, mostly college. She was like, you guys are also, you're all so different and still kind of the same. Right. And by that, she meant, you know, um, we're all curious and interested in things, but in different things. Some pretty right? different things in that list too. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and you know, the, the thing that, that sort of jogged for me was I like being around people who know things that I don't. Cause I actually have something to learn from them. Right. As opposed to if I'm around somebody like me, I would, I would murder that person. Yeah. And I actually think that that's, I mean, turning this into our friendship, like we're, if, if other people look at us, they think that you and I are the exact same person. We're both tall, slightly balding, kind of athletic looking dudes, um, white guys from the Midwest. I mean, I, you and mm -hmm. I grew up two and a half hours from each other. Not even. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so there's a lot, and you know, we went to the same college um, and we both read books a lot, but you and I are very different people. Yeah. Those base attributes can be, you know, very, um, I don't know. They, they, they hide a lot that I don't think people see. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. It's just weird. No, I, I do. I do know what you're talking about though, where like, people that are just like interested and like vivacious about life and, and learning, there's a lot of energy. And I found that, you know, my friends now are, are like that too. They're, even the ones I've made later in life, all pretty mm -hmm. weird in some really interesting and fun ways. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I think that weirdness is sort of prerequisite for me being, any interested in spending time enough to get to know somebody, right? Um, yeah. My, my mom tells a story when I was in fifth grade and I had my birthday party. I was in a brand new school. We had moved and I invited all the kids, you know, my birthday's in November and mm -hmm. we invited all the kids that I thought were interesting. And, you know, I'd known these kids for, right. 10 weeks maybe mm -hmm. and they show up at the birthday party and my mom's looking around and every one of the kids except for one was hyperactive mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know she has this nice story about like what a pain in the ass that birthday party was for her as a parent <laughs> but like looking back as her and i've talked about that she was like oh no it's because those are the kids that were doing interesting things for your, you know, whatever I was, 10 year old brain. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's right. I think that's really right. You know, the, the folks that are out there kind of pushing the edge, um, definitely catch my eye. More fun to be around, more fun to talk to, learn a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and the people, <laughs> It's funny. Uh, two days ago, um, I spoke at a conference about lawyers with ADHD. Yep. Right. Yep. 
And one of the things that, that I spoke about was part of the things that can make us very, very good attorneys are also some of the things that can really be a problem, which is we're really good with novelty, right? We can pick up large data sets and figure out exactly what's going on like that. Yeah. But once, but once we figure it out, we're done. Throw that thing out. out. It's not even it's not even interesting right. anymore. It's just and a don't burden. ask me to do another one like it. Yep. Right. <laughs> um and I, I mean I think that there is something fascinating about people who are always like, okay, and what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Something infuriating too. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean that shit can get real thin if uh oh, yeah. if you're not there on the on the regular doing, you know, a a friend of mine and I were talking about like turns out like a lot of what matters in a good marriage is like does he do the dishes you know mm-hmm. just like <laughs> yeah yeah the prosaic stuff that you like yes yeah right and uh you know having a <clears throat> a partner who maybe can't like just tick and tack on the small stuff or the routine stuff um, right. in anything you know I'm not just talking about marriages and stuff but like even professionally could mm-hmm. probably be infuriating you know, yeah. oh, you you didn't do your TPS reports. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it. Uh, there's not a week that goes by that I'm amazed that I haven't been murdered by Audra. Yeah, well, because I'm very very good at some things, right? And there are some things where she's just like, "Will you just like you never pay your bills on time? Can you just let me do it?" Yeah, it's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And it's not that I don't mean to. It's not that there's not the money there to pay it. It's just that I completely forget to do it. Um, so one of the things that that occurred to me um, again this morning when I was kind of thinking about what what we would talk about, um, there aren't a whole lot of um, people who. Um, when, as you get older, right. When you have friends who are, that you made when you were younger, yep. there are a lot of them who expect you to be the same person forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you were one of the few people who, without having to ask to understand that I've grown up or changed or like you understood that at 42, I'm not the same as I was when I was 35 or 25 or 20. Right. And I mean, I would like to think that I've, you know, extended to you the same grace, right. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who, who don't understand that people, it's not that the core of us changes if there is such a thing as a core of us. Um, But, you know, that that we evolve and and as as our lives change so do we but that leads to a different kind of disconnection right a sort yes. of you know it's it's like when 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 you go through some sort of transformational moment and you come back and you want to share it with the people that you love and they're like what are you talking about i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's a thing yeah um i mean like if if we look back and like say like okay well why did you and I become friends? Physical proximity, you know, mm-hmm. that's up there. Um shared interests, um similar characteristics and temperament I think. 
But mm-hmm. um, but then there's a lot of things that are highly dependent on time and place, you know. And as those and physical proximity is another one of those things. And like as those times and places, you know, as your age changes and your location changes, like you change, you know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> maintaining relationships over the course of those changes can be really, really challenging. Um, you know, I know there's experiences in my life that you haven't had, and there's experiences in your life that I haven't had. And some of those, you and I, we can talk through them, but I can't relate to some of them. I mean, I'll, I'll pick one of my own things. Like, I don't think you're ever going to live in Tokyo for two years. Um, nope. And, uh, you know, like, that's a pretty big experience for me personally. Um, and I think without, without being kind of like directed about accepting and learning about those things, about your other, the other people and your relationships, those things become wedges that fracture your relationships. I think a lot also of people's relationships with folks that they've known for a long time is based on nostalgia. Right. You know, like going to the elementary school that you have already graduated from when you're in your twenties and thirties and just feeling weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I liked when we were in college and living near each other. It was a great time. Also, it was surprisingly only three years. Yeah. You know, I I remember, and I'm sure that you've heard it too. I think anybody who's going to college is told at some point, you know, really enjoy this. can be the best four years of your life. Mm, yeah. What a dangerous right? saying. You know, and I mean, first of all, it wasn't the best four years of my life. Yeah. Right. There are aspects of it, which for those four periods, I've not been able to find anywhere else. Yeah. Right. Um, But it seems like an awful lot of pressure. Right. Oh, man. (laughs) You get these four good years. (laughs) Right. It's like I graduated college at 21. I was like, is it really that we're done? It's over. (laughs) Fuck me. Right. Um, But. You know, it does strike me that, you know, your invocation of nostalgia really hits home because I think there are a lot of people who do get it in their head that because of certain things that happened in college, you know, your your ability to be around all your friends, basically, and, and to just bullshit anytime you want and, and basically eat with impunity at the dining hall and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but you know, nostalgia in, in Greek actually literally means like the wound from something that's no longer available. Yeah. That's the algae part, right? Like is the hurt or the wound. Right. Um, and I wonder how much of that sort of desire for something that you can no longer access damages our ability to find something that works now. Yeah. Um I I I mean I can talk about where this has come up for me, which yeah. is um, you know, it's important to be like physically active and exercise. And uh that's a very hard thing for me because I'm always comparing myself to what I used to be able to do, for instance. Sure. sure and that's sure. a hell of a, a hell of a step down. 
You're not going to win uh, all American swim meets. No, I don't think. No, uh, that's not in the cards anymore. That's not in the cards anymore. No. Um, but uh, what I've had to do is I've had to like intentionally think through this and just talk to myself and mm-hmm. do other things. I don't swim almost any, any ever anymore. It's been years since I've gone to the pool and actually worked out. And it's so, like I had to find a different thing for many reasons. Um, mm-hmm. One of the biggest is that if I was doing that, I'd just sit there and I think about how I'm not doing as good as I used to and just dwell yeah. on. And and so I, you know, I, I ride road bikes now. I, I, I bicycle mm-hmm. um, because I don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> I have to do something novel. Right. Because otherwise the nostalgia and it will, it will just be a very big negative feedback loop for me, a very discouraging thing. Um, yeah, no, I think nostalgia can really ruin stuff. You know, uh, my parents recently visited Mm. and you talk about nostalgia, like Mm. I have to appreciate who they are today, which is largely the same. They're completely healthy. Nothing is wrong with them, but you know, they're in their seventies. They're declining. I see it. Mm -hmm. And in my head, they're still my parents who were, you know, in their forties or fifties or something when I was making memories right. with them and it's different. And, mm-hmm. uh, if I focus too much on that, I won't be able to do the things that are fun now. Mm-hmm. With them. Yeah. Yeah. Have you felt that? I, I feel like there's, and it's not always a one moment kind of thing. It's a gradual thing where, you know, the the center of gravity and who's the adult in the relationship starts to slowly morph, right? Where, yep. you know, um, my, my, my parents um, and uh, Audra and I have dinner together every Sunday. We split, they, they live just down the road. Yep. We go there one week, they come here the, the next week. And it's just about, an, it, it's the right amount of seeing them. Um, yep. <laughs> But on Sunday, my dad mentioned, yeah, so Audra, he does this all the time because she's, she's a doctor, right? Yep. She goes, so I have a question that you might be able to help me. <laughs> all right. What's this? It's never a good start. It's <laughs> never a good start, right? Um, he, and he said, you know, I've been having this weird like pain, like right right here kind of under my left armpit like into the chest all right and audra was like that's probably referred pain um how long has this been going on and he said about 10 days perfect and 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 i said you know dad that that is indicative of a serious heart issue um why don't we get in the car and go to the er right now okay and he was like, no, I think it'll be fine. Right? <laughs> and it was, it was one of those moments where it was like, okay, now I have to be the adult. Yep. Get in the car. Get in the car, man. Yeah. Get in the car. Yeah. Right? It's, um, that same thing has happened for us when we'll do vacations with my parents together. Mm-hmm. And I found that my wife and I are the ones planning the activities, like making the schedule. Mm-hmm. Not because they're not capable of doing that, but because... 
they're putting the re responsibilities onto us to like balance the interests of all the people. So my kids, right. my wife, myself, right, exactly. and them. And, you know, sometimes that's a little contentious or uh, stressful. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's different, man. It's really different. Um, yeah. You know, to your point though, there, there are moments where I have to consciously remind myself, this is, this is who they are, my parents, or this is who a friend is yep. now. Yep. Right. And, and I cannot expect them for, for my own personal yeah. know, preference. Just to make you feel better to go like back to, to the thing that they who were, they, who they were. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's like a constant negotiation of what I understand other people to be. Right. And, and that in, in and of itself, right. When I was younger, I felt like people were slightly more permanent. Right. Well, I was wrong. Yeah. I, I felt that way. Right. I think in that... the order. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I think the trick here is when we're younger, we're observing things for a much shorter duration. Yes. Right? If if one of your friends is the same for two years, you know, which in a human lifetime, two years is not a very long time for most people. Right. Like you think, oh, I know them. You know, they <laughs> right. they keep their word or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know, they could be like a chronic liar. Um uh and you know, like two years. Yeah. Oh, I'm 15. Mm -hmm. They've been the same for two years. I know. That's uh, <laughs> you know, more than 10 percent of my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, and we've talked about this before. We experience life logarithmically, right? Yeah. This is you gave me this piece of knowledge. Do you want me to do it for the folks on the yeah. podcast? All right. So we chart and record time linearly. We use calendars, and every Monday is the same as every Tuesday, Wednesday, etc. But if you experience time logarithmically, um, you know, a one day old child, a day long is twice their life, right? You are doubling their life. But for me as a 42 year old man, a day is like, I mean, I've forgotten more days than I've remembered at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and so if that's true, and this is what, this is the shoe drop, then if you experience time truly logarithmically, then you are middle age when you are 23. Right. You have experienced half of your life. And, oof. and that, and that's assuming you live yeah. the average lifespan of a, of a human being. Exactly. Right? To like you're 80 or so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's bad. The, the, there are times where, you know, I, you know, like, did I really need to understand that? Right? Did I have to, like, logarithms seem pretty cool when I learned them in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. No longer, no longer at school. Nope, not um, after learning that one. Yeah. Um. um <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, it, that's that's always something that there are. I don't know if you've run across this. There was a book that was released, I think, two years ago or so called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. Okay. Um, you know, and, and the premise of the book is he was he was a journalist whose beat writing was productivity. 
right? That's a heck and of so a beat. He would, right. And, and so he wrote a lot about, you know, how to become more productive and all these different productivity tools. And Was he working for Forbes? For, what was this guy doing? Yeah, it was, it was something like that, okay. right? Business Insider. Um, yeah. And, and the book is, there is no such thing as productivity. Really? I like this guy. Um, the... The truth of the matter is we have 4,000 weeks to live and most of the things that we want to do, we just need to accept that we're never going to do. Yep. That's right. Right. And and that's it. Right. Stop beating yourself up over trying to fit everything in because you won't. I don't know that I've learned how to stop beating myself on it, up on it. No, no, no. For everything. Some things I've been able to give myself grace for, but oof, not everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear you on that. Yeah. Um, so the the thing that I keep circling to, right, is this notion of all of these different things that that we are that we pursue for good reasons, right? Okay. Family. Yep. Work. Yep. Things that we really enjoy, love doing. Independently, they don't necessarily create disconnection or loneliness or depression or any of these things, right? But in concert, individually, each of them are probably a a good, right? Like it is something that brings value. And yet, there's some concoction of these by their powers combined, right? Right. (laughs) This is like the, the. the terrible Voltron. Um, yes. You know, it, it leads to this ennui, right? This this notion of shouldn't there be more? You know, why why can't I connect to people in the way that I used to? Am I is there something wrong with me? Um, have I done something wrong? Right? Yeah. Um and so, you know. I've been thinking in terms of the way that we set up our lives, right? You talked earlier about, you know, yeah, I like my own space, so I get a house, yep. right? You know, I personally love time to myself. I love it. I know. If I, know I don't you do. have it, I, I get cranky as shit, yeah. right? It's, it's, it gets bad. Yeah. You're the only 20-year-old I ever met who had a leather office chair, right? And like a reading nook. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I like remote work. I work better at home. I get more done. Yep. Right. Um, I'm mostly happier. And yet, right. It's easier to hide. Mm-hmm. It's easier to avoid people. If there's a slight inclination to, to stick to my own, um, and I miss people. Yep. Right. Uh, I miss people that I that I don't yet know, which is a weird feeling to have. I miss people like you every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, I think probably the reason that I am hyperactive on LinkedIn or or doing this podcast is because there's this great grasping after connection. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. And, and again, this, this brings me back to the, the sort of atomization of the way that we structure our lives. How do you get away from it, though? 
So I was thinking about how there used to be answers for this. And we've, as a society, we have taken those answers apart without explicitly thinking about them. And the, the big example for me for this was um, specifically like religious life, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there used to be this expectation, at least in kind of white Christian mm -hmm. Protestant and Catholic America and, and even, you know, you know, black America too, I'd say, uh, but mm -hmm. I won't, I won't speak for them obviously. Um, but, uh, that everybody would go to church on Sunday and kind of meet up and have this communal experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that we've made a lot of good progress as a society, but I think we took that apart and I'm not, I'm not advocating for everybody on Sunday to go to church, like do what you want with your life. Sure. But, um, we took that apart and we didn't think about that aspect of it and we didn't build a replacement mm -hmm. and the kind of replacements we have. Wait, you mean Reddit isn't a replacement? Yeah. Or football, right? Or like these other things that are kind of right. like these communal events. And I guess they kind of get like halfway there, but they also never purport to be something bigger than what they are. And they're they're also very self selecting, Absolutely. right? You can there's a silo that you can choose a yep. certain kind of person to be around. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, there, there's no real. I mean, I live in a neighborhood. Yep. Do you know how I met one of my neighbors? Uh, were you? I bet it was not in your neighborhood. I bet you were doing something like at the Whole Foods together or something. He messaged me on LinkedIn. Even weirder. Perfect. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was like, oh wait, I think that you lived on the street from me. And he was like, what? Like yeah. that's even even in our physically close spaces, there is not community. That's right. That's right. We, I've been thinking about this. You know, I just mentioned I, mean, I just mentioned kind of religious aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about this. Like, there's no kind of centralized expectation to do something like that. We mm -hmm. we took apart a lot of communal experiences, just kind of haphazardly. So. Um, do you know what the second most watched television event ever was? Hmm. It was MASH. MASH. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I, I knew that was, I, I wasn't sure if that was first. It's, it may be first. I, I may just yeah. like have been as close, but it's, you know, here we are. It's 2023. I think MASH ended in the seventies, right? Or something. I, I think the, I think the last episode was in 1980. Okay. Yeah. Right. But um, it ran through the seventies. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I remember like going to work and having people actively talk about Game of Thrones, which let's not talk mm -hmm. too much about that. But <laughs> but it was weird because it was so different because it was a communal media experience that we're all having. And I'd never had that really before. Well, or you know, I mean, it, it used to be, you know, when, when we had basically the three networks and exactly. that was TV. Yep. I mean, like shitty TV shows would have 30 million viewers. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talk about all these great shows that we have now, which yep. artistically speaking, you know, like Breaking Bad is better than MASH. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Breaking Bad on average had like two and a half million viewers per episode. Exactly. Right. That's less right? than I mean, that's, 1% that's of the US right, population. That, that is a fundamentally different kind of impact. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's weird because we've... I think the crux of it is we've opened up choice, individual choice, right? Which mm -hmm. I think has been really good. Like you don't, 
you don't have to go to church because the community isn't expecting you or it's not going to paint a red letter on you or shame you publicly if you don't. Um, But the flip side of opening up choice is this reduction in communal interactions. And I don't think that we have socially a good replacement. And And I do think that that gave us some senses of purpose or communal connection that I don't think we have replacements for yet. No, I agree. I, I think there's also been an epistemic break because of some of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when, I mean, you, you might take exception to the news as told by Walter Cronkite, but everybody got that news. Everybody got it, for sure. For right? Sure. There, was a set, there was a set of presumed facts that everybody worked from. Well, we, I mean, I don't think we should delve too much into politics here, but like. No, I mean. Yeah, but. There's, we, we don't agree on the basic facts. I mean, we don't agree on base, some basic tenets of how our society should run. Right. And everybody's just left to their own kind of interpretation. I think, as I've been thinking about, like, how do we, as a society, address this? I, I mean, I have, I have two young kids. They're 10 and 9. And I think we all need to, like, pay much more attention to schools. Because mm-hmm. that's how we build our future society like you know i'm not going to invent the thing for 40 year olds who all of a sudden gets us to do something positive and communal on a sunday right that ship has sailed but you know i do think um i'll take i'll take an i'll take an example that stood out to me is um uh the kibbutz in israel right Mm -hmm. totally normal thing for people to all just like live on a farm somewhere making honey and selling sandals or whatever. I don't even know. Uh, it's such mm-hmm. a foreign experience, but it's definitely much more communal. Huh? Right. Um, and, and socially affirming than the, you know, this, I mean, I live in Seattle. Uh, the Seattle public schools are a bit of a melting pot, which is good, but also mm-hmm. tons of people opt out, kid goes to private school you know mm-hmm. i want him to go to harvard uh that kind right. of thing and and we don't have um i guess where i'm going with this is like i think if we invest socially into making that experience more supportive for kids kind of more communal and you know better educationally then maybe they come out feeling more connected right although better educationally according to whom okay yeah right and (laughs) and and again i i don't want to get political about it but i think there are at least two pretty different views of what education ought to do i right at least for sure at least for sure um yeah i mean i think i think we can take the yes and approach do both right just every teacher in the whole country makes a hundred thousand dollars starting salary ready go yeah like let's just start investing in that whatever yeah so you know i think that that you are right as far as long-term plays for a lot of this stuff yeah right but i'm going to do the very selfish thing but what about me what about me man right um (sighs) two weeks ago um i went to colorado Uh, it was part of a mastermind group where 12 of us all met up. Um, 
we walked or ran a stupid amount of miles um, at 8,500 feet in elevation. But, you know, one of the things that really struck me was the, the youngest guy there, right? So there was the youngest guy was 27. The oldest was in his early 50s. Yep. The youngest guy went asked, so why are you here? He said, honestly, I'm here to make friends. Yep. Right. All, all of all of my friends from college went off and did their thing, and I'm here. I'm I've got an amazing wife, but I'm lonely. Right. And I think for every one of the other eleven of us, we were like, "Uh huh, welcome." <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Cool. You, you've, reached, you've reached a rite of passage. Yep. Right. Yep. Welcome to what being an adult is. Um, but at the same time, that group was an active attempt to counteract yep. the inertia of that kind of seeping into loneliness or, you know, um, you know, isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that it took me a long time to admit to myself that I wanted to do something like that. Right. Yeah. Mostly because I thought it was like, I'm fine. Right. I'll get through it, Just which is such a fucking foot. adult thing, like professional thing to do. Right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Don't pay attention to me. I'm fine. Right. So, and, and, and I think this particular aspect of, of just powering through things is it's not, you know, only men, but it is, it's a predominantly male way of dealing with something. Right. I mean, I think back to when I was a, a kid, right. And I, I love my dad. My dad's amazing. All that kind of stuff. But like the, the one emotion I was allowed to feel was anger, anger, anger. That's the appropriate right? male I mean, response. <laughs> right. You know, and I mean, Irish Catholic, you know, like you feel the emotions, the, uh, you know, the, um, the fairies are going to come and, you know, bite your ankles. I mean, this is like, like, like there's, there's, there's no emotion to be had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what it was like with you because we haven't spoken about this, but as I got older and I started understanding that there was this whole panoply of of emotions that, that I was in fact feeling, but couldn't name, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was. It, it both made me more capable of understanding my own experience through it. But it didn't really give me the tools to... Any tools to deal with it. <laughs> right. Like, I can identify the problem now, teacher. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I fix right, give it? Give me a gold star, right? Yep. And nobody's got an answer for that. Or nobody's explicit with answers for that, I think. Or training people to answer and solve those problems. I, I, I mean, what would that look like, right? Uh, you'd go to some kind of, some teacher sort of thing, and they'd say, if you feel lonely, these are the signs, and this is what mm-hmm. to do, you know, like some kind of prescription for loneliness. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are trying to make money on the prescription oh, yeah. for loneliness. Oh yeah. You know, um, 
you know, this kind of like self-help folk. And there's a huge spectrum, right? There's people who really genuinely right. want to help. Who are legit, right. And right. there's people who, you know, want to sell you Are crystals. happy to take your money. Exactly, right. right. Um, but, you know, and there's no real, I don't know. Did, I think you saw the Surgeon General had a thing about loneliness being a chronic health yeah. problem. Yeah. So lo- loneliness has a higher... Yep. Um, correlation to ill health and than downstream consequences than smoking than drinking then yep. you know like lack of exercise yep loneliness kills you yeah um you know i saw um it's a statistic that younger younger people mm-hmm. younger men especially no um report higher rates of loneliness than elderly people do now I can believe that a hundred percent. One of my favorite movies at its and, and books, but I think the movie is kind of a, a social, a social totem um, is fight club. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a movie about loneliness. I think it is too. I, I think it's, I th- it's one of those movies that is a Trojan horse. Yes. Right? Yes. It's bizarre and it's hyper violent. And I mean, I'm glad that David Fincher has kind of, gone on to like not embarrass himself right. later um right. the director but uh mm. i mean why are they doing this they make this they make a violent criminal mob to blow up banks sorry sorry if i'm spoiling it for anybody from a movie from 20 years <laughs> look, look, it's it's nearly 30 years old i think we're yeah, i think yeah, we're yeah. Good. spoiler alert <laughs> but they make a violent criminal mob to blow up banks and like beat the crap out of each other because they're trying to create meaning in their own lives because they mm-hmm. realize that there's no next step for them, you know? Yes. And I, th- and I actually think that that's even more pervasive as a society, as we get to more winner take all stuff. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I had a long conversation um, with um, a, a client of mine uh, for for my estate planning firm. Yeah. Very, very wealthy family. We're talking like 10 figure or eight figures, but like high eight figures, lots and lots of money, lots of money. And he came to me and he said, you know, Owen, I'm really torn here. I said, okay, let's, let's talk about it. Is he going to bring up the good thing? I bet he is. And, and he says, I don't know if I want to give my kids any money. Yep. This is the Warren Buffett dilemma. Yep. Because. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I said, oh, tell me more. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have long advocated if I ever have kids and if I ever make a lot of money, I'm going to make sure that they never starve. Yeah. Right? When, they're, when they're adults or whatever. Yep. But I'm not going right? to. And he said, the thing that has got me through life is having purpose. And money is not purpose. No. No. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's this perverse way of keeping score, mm-hmm. which I think is gross in a different way. Um, sure. Because I don't think it's actually positive points. No. Um, but uh, no, it's... Yeah, yeah. I, I also think the sentiment like that actually puts a ceiling Mm. on on the reach for the money 
right? Like, um, you know, CEOs are bonkers well compensated. They don't need to be. No, no, right? they don't need to make the money that they, they make. They don't need to make the money that they make. I, I'm a dyed in the wool capitalist, but they don't they don't need that shit. Exactly, right? <clears throat> and you know, I, I think if they're if they're personal if they knew that looping this back to earlier in the conversation, if they knew that the money that they accumulated only actually got to be able to be spent over those four thousand weeks. Right? Mm-hmm. Like how much money does it really take to live on a yacht in the south of France? And have someone feed you grapes every day. It's 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 actually not hundreds of millions of dollars. Right, it, it's a lot of money, but it's not yeah. like the kind of money that they are yeah. seeking in, in in their compensation. Exactly right. Like if we don't have billionaires, you know, they there still be people on the south of France on a boat eating grapes. That's right. I mean, th- there are people on this, you know, in in the Caribbean who live on a on a shitty little boat and are happy as a clown, making very little money, right? That's right. Um, you know, it's it's a matter of you know uh, what it is that that is going to provide enough connection, and enough, yeah, you know, meaning that that gets you going. Um, all right, I I, I want to turn focus here for for a second, sure. and, and we might disagree on this. All right, I love these. All right, I think that one of the largest mistakes that U.S. government policy has made over the past hundred years is this fetishization of the nuclear family. Okay, it is a historical anomaly. Right? Yes. The nuclear family worked from about 1950 to 1965. And that's the only time. It's the only time in history that that the nuclear family, as we conceive of it, has really been a successful formulation of, of community. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it only worked for some people for that. For some people. Period that, of that, time. That's right. right. But, you know, it was one of the, like, all of a sudden we, we need to, I mean, government policy shifted like this to. Absolutely. We need to have you know, suburban tract housing. We need to build uh, highways to and from those places. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I say a lot that we are, <laughs> we are a species that are running on fifteen thousand year old hardware. Right. That's being generous to us, but yes. That's being generous, right? Yeah. I mean, our 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 basic genetic form. Mm-hmm predates written language by 10,000 years, right? Yep. So what we're dealing with now, we are not programmed for, right? We don't necessarily have the innate (laughs) building blocks to, to really parse through it. Um, for most of our history as a species, we are, um, clan based. Yeah. A tribe of, 50 right, to an extended, right. By recalibrating the way that we set up our social networks, right, or like in-person, immediate social networks into a nuclear family, mm-hmm. we are doing ourselves no favors because there's. I mean, I tell Audra all the time. Um. I'm always going to be there for her and I will do everything that I possibly can, but there's no way that I will ever be enough. Yep. Right. That's right. And it's no, it's, it's not for a failure of wanting or trying. 
it's a matter of I'm just one person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right? you can't you can't be the salve to everything for her, right? You can't be right. her romantic partner and her therapist and her exercise buddy and, you know, like that, that, right. that, that, that. Right. And it used to be if it weren't simply a nuclear family, there'd be somebody around. There'd be somebody else. Yep. Right. And I, I really wonder how much of this, this dislocation that, that we feel, this sense of not quite having the connection that, allows us to to feel seen and heard properly mm-hmm. right to, to really be has to do with this not just atomization of you know i work in this this room you know i spend a shit ton of time in this room mm-hmm. um, i live in my house you know my car is basically a tunnel between indoor places right <laughs> yeah exactly my magic transporter device that's right. hermetically sealed right. so there's that aspect of atomization yes. right but there's also been a shrinking of our community mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think is really damaging our ability to feel whole. I, I, I'd i say that there's other side effects too, right? Our sure. ability yeah. to feel empathy towards people. And, mm. you know, you ever try to talk to a stranger on public transportation? <laughs> I yes. double dare you. I do it all the time everybody hates it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they just feel it's very unnatural um right but um so i, I wouldn't mean, back to your back to your posit of the nuclear family yeah. right yeah i wouldn't lay all the blame on that i don't think it's helping um mm-hmm. i my immediate family is nuclear right it's two parents three kids um and and nuclear to an even greater extent because effectively three of my four grandparents were dead by the time I was born. And, mm-hmm. and the one grandparent I had was the worst person I've ever met. Yeah, I'm, I know. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so we were quite insular. We didn't have extended family really. Um, but we built an extended family um, because you know, this, there was a neighbor of ours, two doors down, this woman, Janet, mm-hmm. And um, she was from a very large, she was a first generation immigrant Italian family. Like her parents Mm -hmm. spoke Italian. Um, And there was a million kids and aunts and uncles and, and, and and they just like adopted me, which I think speaks to the fact that they weren't focused on this Mm -hmm. idea of a nuclear family. They were like, oh yeah, this, this tall, skinny white kid uh, from two doors down. Yeah, he's just a part of everything. Like he, he's one of us. Exactly right. Just it took, you know, I don't know, three months or something until they all knew mm-hmm. my name and they're all like, "Oh, little Robert, come here." Um. So I guess where I'm going with this is I've experienced both. Uh I liked the not nuclear family thing a lot. I also think you ever read those stories in like the 1800s where there's like the men are over here and the women are right. over here. And the whole novel is about one man and one woman kind of like, you know, like Slowly, creep out of the right. thing. Uh, and like, I wonder like the group of guys, you know, that are all, you know, conducting business together or like racing horses right. or all the macho pursuits. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, they had their own limitations. You know, they weren't mm-hmm. allowed to be, um, I don't know, like divergent in some ways from that expectation. But, um, you know, like, like God help them if they're gay, you know, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, this, uh, mm-hmm. It's an affront to all of our macho-ness over here. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think the nuclear family is helping with this sense of isolation and loneliness because the expectation is that you're just going to cleave off in this, in this act of mitosis and, and right. make the same thing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I don't think I disagree with you too much on this to recurse okay. all the way back. <laughs> um, kind of like what, what pressure do does the kind of makeup of the way that we structure our lives right i don't know if you felt this right um there was somebody that that i was introduced to here in pittsburgh mm-hmm. but i thought oh pretty cool guy right we're like let's go get coffee right sure. and it felt like a very high stakes moment to me in a way that 20 years ago, it would not have. It's like you're going on a date with a new friend. Right. Yeah. When did that happen? I think like dissecting that scenario, if I was doing that, which I have, Mm -hmm. um, for me, I felt, like in the moment of that conversation, number one, I was asking something big of them and mm-hmm. I didn't want to disappoint them. Right. And number two, I was also asking something big of the rest of my life that was like behind me, you know, like, oh, uh, you know, I, I'm i going to scoot out of work early so that I can go to this coffee or I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like short my boss out of some time or, right. yeah. Or, uh, you know, maybe my spouse or my kids or, you know, like I felt like I was stealing time from them and from me from doing the thing I was supposed to do. Right. But when did your time start belonging to somebody else? Oof. Right. Because I I feel the same way. I'm not, I'm not like accusing you here. Yeah. 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 But, Yeah. But there's, there's this notion that I have sometimes where it's like, can I, can I afford to take my time away from whatever to, to do this thing that I want to do? Hmm. I think I've had ebbs and flows where I've been able to do this more or less. Mm -hmm. So when I was seriously engaged in athletic stuff, like I had this discipline around my time that sure. I like there were, I mean, you saw there were things that I would not yeah, violate it. exactly. Like I was going to practice. I was going to that meet. Um, but then in my, you know, early mid twenties when I was working jobs that, you know, I was getting paid for, but not exactly maybe emotionally attached to, uh, mm-hmm. like I felt like I had, I could just do whatever I wanted to. Um, and then, 
Yeah. So like I've, I've had ebbs and flows is what I would say to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking in advance my kid's age and start to need me or want my intervention and participation less, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's a real thing. It's a scary prospect, right? You know, my kid's saying, Oh dad, get out of here. I don't need you. I'm, I'm 13 or whatever. Right. Right. Oh, so anyways, my, my wife just looked at me speaking of time. Yeah. She was like, Hey, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, the, one of the things that I, that I have found, um, since my transplant, mm-hmm. I've allowed myself to be more selfish. Good. Right. Yeah. Um, in a way that I wasn't before. Right. Yeah. There, there's a certain like wake up call that you get. It was like, Oh, well shit, this could end. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> this, this very nearly did end. Yeah. Um, and I allow myself to do it, but I still feel guilt about it. I mean, society wants you to feel guilty about it. Yeah. Right. Because, society's needs are not your needs no they're different no no right the the needs around us are the things that are to support the system that exists it's not Mm -hmm. to support us individually Mm -mm. not at all no we're we are cogs in the industrial machine right i mean that's one of the machines but yeah. yeah yeah so all right so yeah We've been going for an hour and ten now. I know that <laughs> Devin is looking at you like, "Are you done playing?" Um, before I let you go, um, yes. What are you What are you reading? Um. Okay, so I'm in the midst of some job stuff, and so I'm reading a lot of stats books. Yeah. And so at this moment, I'm reading. There's a guy named Shalizi, and he's I think he's Carnegie Mellon. And so he wrote this, the truth about linear regression. So that uh, is, that, that's, a, that's a page turner right there. It is a page turner, but <laughs> it's funny. Cause he's, he's kind of like, he's like the statistician who will like whisper to you on the side. He'll be like, Hey, listen, it's all bullshit. And we set it up this way. Cause it's convenient. Right. Um, right. And so I really appreciate that about him. Um, so that's actually what I'm currently reading. Um, that and what else was the other one? Um, there's another data science book. It's called ESL. It's very famous, which is like elements of statistical learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two things. Um, I guess nonfiction, what my latest thing was. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. I I love David Mitchell, so it was probably a David Mitchell. Yeah. 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 I, uh, there, there's a new translation of the brothers K, um, that came out. So that's like, uh, that walk like to a flame. Eight. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Rob. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. I'll talk to you all later. All right. And, uh, thanks for the podcast folks. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thanks again to Rob Lissy for taking the time to sit down and shoot the shit with an old friend. Um, hope that that first recorded interview, as he puts it, uh, wasn't so bad. And um, I hope all of you um, 
have good ways to get through that loneliness and, and um, disconnect that I think most of us feel um, on occasion. Um, reach out. I'm happy to talk. Um, if you're so inclined, leave a review, leave a rating, and I'll talk to you later.